Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Mike Schmidt. Before we get to Mike, I have some announcements to make. And one is, of course, the website. Please go there to TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can see bios of all our guests. You can see photos of our guests. You can see links to all their social media. And you can see links to all our social media. And that is, of course, Twitter, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. Follow us there, please. You can go to Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook, which is uh, Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. There's a link to Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe to the show, and also a link to iTunes, where most of you get the show. But uh, if you're just listening for the first time, click on iTunes, go there, subscribe. It's for free. As always, I'm a horrible businessman. I don't know how to make money off a podcast. I do it for the love of it. All I ask is that you maybe give us a good rating. Give us a thumbs up. Say a few nice things. Cost you nothing. And that helps boost our presence, which helps more people find the show, which is always a cool thing. So if you can do that, I'd appreciate it. If you want to write me, it's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. My friend Mike Schmidt came through for me this week. And uh, he came over and talked about his recent trip to Kuwait. It's a pretty cool story. He has his own podcast, which is very successful, called The 40-Year-Old Boy. Um, an avid listener. You should listen to. And uh, he's just a, a very funny uh, comedian that I've known for many, many years. He's from Chicago. And uh, he's just in that uh, gang of mine that I, I see quite often. But he had never left North America. And so I always love interviewing people that have never left the country and have gone on their first trip outside of the country. I just like to relive their experiences of being outside the comfort zone of America for the first time. I, I remember vividly how much it affected me when I was 21 and first left the country. And so I'd love to uh, hear it from people that are going through it, how it affects them, how it changes their perspective, and how it inspires them quite often to live a different way and to... Uh, want to travel more. So I was eager to talk to Mike, not only because I wanted to hear about Kuwait, a place I've never been, but also he's a, he's a funny guy and he loves to talk, as you will see. And if you listen to his show, you know that uh, he's a great talker. He's been known to use a little colorful language. So if, if your kids are in the car, I'm just warning you now, uh, this is uh, not safe for work. But it was great to see him and great to hear about his experiences in the Middle East. So I hope you enjoy it. This is my conversation with the funny and talented Mike Schmidt. For the people that uh, don't know who you are, you host the 40-Year-Old Boy podcast, which, of course, 
I'm a fan, as you know. You are. Thank listen. you. You're very cool. Like, I have a, a group of friends, and you're the one who always knows what I'm talking about. It's Absolutely. Nice and you've been through a lot. And how many years have you been doing it? <laughs> we are now in year nine. Year nine! Yeah. You are no longer a 40-year-old boy. Soon. No, I, that comes next year. I, I used to joke that when, if I'm still doing this when I'm 50, just kill me. Well, <laughs> bad news. Someone's going to have to <laughs> assassinate me because I'll be doing it when I'm 50. And that's good radio. If you, oh, oh, sure. You're going to record it, I I used I to say the show was going to end with a gunshot. Literally, like just <laughs> that would be the final broadcast. Just, just Bud Dwyer right there, and everybody's got to fucking listen to it. <laughs> but the, the one thing that happened uh, to you recently, uh, this is a story of podcasting, because I've never heard of this happening to another podcaster, that you recently went to Ku- Kuwait. I did. And this was all made possible through your podcast. It was. So tell Absolutely. the story of how that happened. Well, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. There's a history to it. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a Kickstarter. And I wanted to travel and do shows on the East Coast because I was doing my one-man show. And uh, podcasting, not as lucrative as all of you out there think that it is. <laughs> you do okay. You know, you sell some merch. People make donations. People are very supportive and nice. But in order to do an East Coast tour and rent theaters, because I did it all myself. It was a DIY Fugazi type of deal. <laughs> and, uh, and this is, you know, but also I stayed in nice hotels because I'm an idiot. This is before Airbnb was invented. So of I'm course. like, well, I need to stay at a Hyatt. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> um, so I, I put out a Kickstarter. And I was asking for $6,000. And if you're familiar with Kickstarter, there's tiers. There's levels where people, if they, donate, if they donated a dollar, I would say, I'll thank you. If you donated five bucks, you got this. You donated 20 bucks. So it was anything from, you know, it was like a $125 tier, I think, or $150 tier. We could have dinner with me in one of the six cities that I was touring. Um, all these things. Well, there, I made, as a goof, at the bottom, I had a $6,000 tier because all I was looking was, for was $6,000. And it said, if you donate to this tier, I will immediately cancel this Kickstarter. I will show up wherever you'd like me to. I'll be funny until you tell me to leave. <laughs> I literally will just follow you around and be funny until you tell me to go home. So a pest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An invited pest. An expensive pest, but a pest nonetheless. So, they, uh, so I threw that up as a goof. So the Kickstarter rumbles for, yeah, I think it's, it was a month or three months. I can't, I can't even remember how, how it went. But we, we funded it, and we wound up actually hitting like seven grand, which is really nice. And so I'm planning cities, and I'm looking at stuff to do. So about a month after it's funded, I get an email from somebody, and she says, hey, I saw your Kickstarter. It looks like it's over. Congratulations. But is there a way to still donate? And if there is, can I, can I do that $6,000 tier? Well... I, of course, ignored this person because obviously they were crazy. Of course. They're, they're, they're goofing with me. Something's up. So I didn't answer the email. Uh, not that I answer emails in a timely fashion anyway, but still. <laughs> so uh, I wound up ignoring it. So I think it was about a week later, she wrote me again. And she said, look, I don't know if you got my last email. I won't bother you again after this. But uh, I just wanted to say my boyfriend is a huge fan of yours. And if you were serious about that, uh, I, would, I would like to do that. And, and then we could have you come out and meet him and hang out. So then I... I, I couldn't believe Hang it. Hang out with my yeah. boyfriend and me. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote her back and I said, uh, if, you're, if you're serious, yes. I mean, just tell me where you'd want me to go and when and for how long. We'd have to work out the logistics. But if, if you donate the six grand, then yeah, obviously I'm going to do whatever, you, whatever you'd like. You just tell me and I'll take care of whatever I need to take care of. And uh, the next morning, $6,000 showed up in my PayPal account. <laughs> Stunned. Are you hearing this, uh, listeners? <laughs> Mike, by Daddy's the way. Daddy's got you can bills. <laughs> I'll come and hang out with you. Yeah, no kidding. So yeah. I, uh, so she, she sent me that, and I was astonished. Uh, and she wanted me to come to New York for New Year's Eve. They were from Florida, but they were going to New York for New Year's Eve. They wanted me to meet them in New York for three days over New Year's Eve. 
And this it is was, not a cheap place to, to hang out. No. You know, it's not like you're going to Florida. No, they were hey, saying... We'll go to Clearwater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> go to Six Hooters bucks. and hang out. Yeah. Uh, but they... So it was Seth and Brandy were their names. And, uh, and they said, just come. We're staying here. And I said, well, look, I'll plan a bunch of restaurants. I'll find a bunch of cool stuff. And you guys, whatever you want to do, I'm in. And then I'll find good places we can go. They said, great, whatever you want to do. So I literally, I went online. I booked, you know, I paid for my airfare out of the six grand. I paid for my hotel. Uh, and then I went and I, I was there for about four days in New York. And it wasn't like they wanted me every single minute where they said, you must be here. You may have to do this. I was kind of shocked. They, I met them and then we hung out all night. And then the next day we went, you know, went to Staten Island. We went to the ferry. Is this where you went to the Cake Boss guys? Uh, we went to the Cake Boss. <laughs> that, was, that was a place they wanted to go. They wanted to go to the Cake Boss's bakery. So we took, you know, subway trains and went out there to do that. And uh, it just, they didn't, you know, they didn't have any elaborate plans. They were young kids. And, right. and I, I, people were like, well, where did they get six grand? I, she had had some settlement or something from an accident. I don't, I didn't ask a lot of questions because I mean, it, it all spent the same no matter where she got it. I don't care if she stole it, but I mean, she gave it to me. <laughs> but they were so sweet and they were lovely people and they were so great. I, I don't even know if they listen anymore. I've not heard from them in a very long time. <laughs> so it went well. So. It went extremely well. We had a great time. And I, so I told them, Delete. you know, <laughs> I said, you're grandfathered in, man. Like whatever you guys want, merch, anything of mine that you ever want, they're, they're super fans for life. If they could, you know, if they called me tomorrow and they said, Mike, come here or do this, I would do it. Um, because they believed and they were one of the first uh, people to believe and, and certainly backed it up with the finances. So that's it was awesome. amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. So I just, I just did another podcast, um, a rival podcast of yours. Aren't they all? Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> I was on Alison Rosen's podcast. Okay. And she, that story came up and I wound up telling the story and she was as, as surprised as you and I'm sure a lot of you people out there are by that story. <laughs> and, uh, and then when the story hit the airwaves, I got a letter, another email, from a, a, a listener in Kuwait, and he said, hey, man, I love that story. It's, that's about when I came on board. Because, I mean, I, I actually got like three episodes out of it, just detailing the trip itself and all of the yeah, stuff. Yeah, remember that. The, all the machinations. Um, and it, it was some fantastic artwork by Dave, like me as King Kong on the stage in New York. It was so great. <laughs> such great stuff. So uh, this listener from Kuwait said, I, just, I love that story. It's when I came on board with your show. I'm wondering if you'd be interested in doing something like that again. Now, in the past, you know, I was... I was flying high. I mean, it was like year two of the podcast, year three. People loved me. I was doing shows. I'm traveling all over, booking one-man stuff. Now I'm an Uber driver with a, like a failure in, in his life. <laughs> oh, come well, on. You know, but you know what I mean. It's like you yeah, feel but, that way. So, but, but, but my favorite but, – so that's just to clarify the, the line, would you be interested? Oh, my God. Yes. No. <laughs> I mean, instantly. No, I'm very busy, sir. No, I don't <laughs> care. I'll just come there for free. I don't care. I'll hang out. <laughs> right. That's what, that, this is the thing that amazed me. It's one thing if he just like, okay, I'll pay for your flight and come on out and hang out. Yeah. But he also – Paid you on top, like almost an appearance fee. There was this a, is a gig. Almost. There was an appearance fee. Yeah, absolutely. And he was he was incredibly nice. And he and all, and I so I get this note from him. All right, and I don't know this guy at all because first he's like, "Would you come have?" I don't know if you'd want to come halfway around the world for one of your listeners. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. But again, like I said, I'm in no matter what. I don't care. <laughs> he could be in a gulag somewhere, and I'm in. Uh, but so I, I contacted him. All I had was a hotmail address and what in his signature. That was it. So I did some Googling. I looked around. He had no social media footprint. Uh, I could not find him. I looked. I, he's no Facebook. No, he has a Twitter, but only to follow people. And I, like I said, I had, the, I had the Hotmail address. So I wrote him and I said, well, obviously I'm interested in this, you know, and I appreciate your interest, but I need to know 
if you're a real guy, like where are you, what this entails, what you would want to do, when, all those things. Which so, Al Qaeda cell are you in? <laughs> Were you worried about like ending up on some kind of like a watch list or something? It's yeah. like, wait, I'm accepting an offer from some guy. There's the no Middle doubt well, I, I, that that <laughs> that happens later because then when he and I, because I finally uh, we decide we can Skype, so I can see that he's a person, and I'm not a Skype guy, so I, I figure out how to do it and I call him and he's just. He's a normal dude. I mean, he looks like a normal dude. His name's Ahmad. And uh, the coolest guy on the phone. He's just really uh, nondescript is the way I would put it. He's just a normal person. You know, because I don't know what the fuck I'm expecting in Kuwait. <laughs> I mean, some, you know, some, like you said, a jihadist or somebody. I don't know. <laughs> because what we hear over here is everybody's this way or everybody's that way. Well, I, I saw him on Skype. He's just a normal kid. He went to Colorado in Boulder for university, uh, for school. Um, he's an engineer. In, in town and he's like no nah, I'm just a huge fan and this is something I want to do and I said right, I'm, I would love to do it so we Skyped back and forth he sent me emails back and forth we figured out an amount and he was like alright we can do this and I said that's fine and uh, but then he's got to send me a bank transfer because I you know he said I, well I can mail it to you but obviously that's not going to fly um, but then he was going to he had a bank in the US and he was going to transfer money from the bank of the US to my bank mm-hmm. but he, he didn't have enough to cover it so he had to go through the Kuwait bank and I had to get the New York, all this, all numbers and bullshit. But yeah, tell me about, I, I'm getting a large cash transfer from the Middle East <laughs> and then getting on a plane there shortly thereafter. I mean, that, that's got to make somebody <laughs> right. at least raise their eyebrows in Washington. Uh, I haven't heard anything yet, but uh, but still, I, but I don't think I didn't think about it every single step of yeah. the way. Yeah. So what did you know? Th- now, this is your first trip out of the country, right? My first trip off the continent. That's amazing. Yeah, so now, been, uh, we always love to hear uh, stories from people that, uh, I've never been out of the country, and this is the first trip. And just because it takes me back to the first time I ever left, okay. which is I was 21, and my eyes were just exploded sure. wide. Where'd you, you go? Know? But this is Europe. Okay. So this is still, you know, very kind of so first a lot world. Of faces that look first like world. Yours, certainly. You went way deep. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a culture <laughs> shock. It was strange. I mean, I'll tell you, I, didn't, I did not know at all what to expect. None. Talking to him, I was able to allay some fears and, and figure some stuff out. And I'll tell you what, I, I was never – fears is a, a wrong word. I was excited. I mean I could not wait to do this. Like I said, I've been to Canada. I've been to Mexico. I've never been off of North America. So just that alone was going to be so amazing for me, the travel and, and making that happen. But then also just being to be to, – to dive into the culture and figure out what was going on. I mean I was really excited. Now there were people around me who were not very excited. <laughs> Uh, my girlfriend at the time was, was, she was very worried. And my, my mom was, you know, cause something that factors into this too, is they know me and you know me. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I, I, that you would start some international incident. Maybe, you know what I mean? Just cause I can, I'm mouthy, but not drunk mouthy, but I mean, I'm, I'm sarcastic. So, I mean, I can be sarcastic and, and if you're sarcastic to the wrong dude, you, you know, maybe you wind up in a jail cell maybe you wind up, you know, you're getting your tongue cut out, like a bitten out like in Midnight Express. So I, I had no clue, dude. I mean, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I, I'm respectful and I'm a good person. So I knew I'd have a good time, but yeah, it was, it was a ridiculous shock to, to make the trip. I mean, I, you know, I, first of all, I didn't know, I thought I'd have to go to New York and then New York on. I didn't know you can fly directly to Dubai from Los Angeles. Yeah, these big planes now, they can go, it was about what, 14, 15 hours? Or 17. Longer? 17 hours. Yeah, seven, uh, 16 and a half, something like that. And, uh, and that was another thing. When I bought the ticket, you know, business class was, because uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big dude. You know what I yeah. mean? So I'm a little worried about being in a plane for 16, 17 hours. I'm a good flyer. I mean, I can just hunker down and not move. But for that amount of time, that's a long time. Yeah. And also, 
business class, you know, you can lay down, you've got some room. Well, in economy, you can't. And there's a row of people, you're with people. And so I didn't know what to expect and I was a little worried. But thankfully, when I, I took, I flew Emirates. Yeah. And I get on the plane and uh, luck, there's nobody in my row for the flight to Dubai. Oh, the first nice. I'm from America to Dubai. And I, again, Emirates, completely different world when you're traveling internationally than when you're traveling, you know, here amid the States. You know, you walk through the international terminal. And it, first of all, everybody's Which wrapping. is brand new. It's beautiful. Oh, it's unbelievable. Right? Uh, the Bradley Terminal. And everybody's yeah. wrapping their, their luggage in plastic wrap, which I find <laughs> out later is because that uh, border guards or custom people will rifle through and yeah, take... Thieves, what, yeah, thieves. Yeah, they'll take mm-hmm. stuff. Oh, sure. Um, well, I didn't, I didn't wrap up. I didn't even think about it. So I get that. What are they taking? <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Uh, yeah, well, I got but, another oh. size XXL t-shirt. <laughs> I had my passport like totally at my hip the entire time because I'm like, I'm not losing this. I can't lose this. Uh, but then when I get into the international terminal, there's, you know, there's Burberry and Coach and like all oh, these yeah, fancy. Oh, yeah. It's really beautiful. Well, it's all fancy stores. You know I mean? You're, and all the local restaurants. Yeah. You know, they had like Umami Burgers yeah, in there. Yeah, exactly. The, the sandwich yeah, yeah, joint. Yeah. And there's no, there's no Andy Ann's $15 uh, burger <laughs> exactly. just before you get on the plane. Some fresh cupcake house that's baking them on site. <laughs> I'm like, oh my Christ. It, it reminded me, there was an old Saturday Night Live sketch once where they went to the ladies' room and uh, you, you know they walked, men are like, why do they always go in pairs? And they went in there and there's Brad Hall with a loot and angels and all this different <laughs> right. stuff. Because again, you walked into the National Terminal, it's astonishing how much nicer it is than the, the steerage that you have yeah. to deal with in the regular terminal. Uh, and then it was the 17-hour flight and I... And, Again, just the dealing with the fact that you had a thousand media channels, free Wi-Fi the entire flight, and being able to see the map of all of a sudden you're over Russia, and, and you're like, oh my Christ! I mean, it's so strange <laughs> to me. Well, so how how much research about Kuwait did you do before you left? I mean, what I re- did you know? I researched visas, uh, so I knew I could get a visa at their airport. Uh, I had talked to some of our friends, Graham. Uh, I talked to you a mm-hmm. little bit because you, you told me not to go. I begged you not to go in August. <laughs> they gave you the option of going in February or August. He did. He said go, he could come in August or he can come in February. Goes, it was I'm literally 125 August. degrees. It was, literally. That's not even a joke. I know. I sent you the article. It said it had some record temperatures. <laughs> well, I was there. It was 125. Why did I, you pick August? Because I didn't want him to d- change his mind. Okay. I'm being completely honest. No, I, no. I, I could have waited because he's like, February is our, our uh, Independence Day and it's a celebration and it's it's a little cooler. It's a lot of fun. You can come during that or you can come in August because I, I have two weeks off and it'd be really great. And I, I did not want him to come to his senses and go, I can't pay this idiot an appearance <laughs> fee. And so I was like, send the money now. I'm going. Right. And so I didn't okay. want to risk it, you know, and it, which seems ridiculous now after the fact. But in the beginning, you know, because again, all I know, he was head and shoulders on a Skype screen. I mean, I, I didn't know if he was a person or what. So you can pack light, though, at least. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I brought a ton of pairs of shorts. I brought a ton of stuff because I also, I didn't want, you know, I didn't know if I'd do laundry or what I would do when I was over there. Again, I was there for two weeks. You know, I went, uh, well, 10 days, but then a, a 12 days. So two on the plane. Yeah, the traveling, yeah. Yeah, but 10 when I was there. And I'm a, I'm a bit of, like I said, I'm a big dude, so I'm going to sweat. So I mean, I, I know I could have a million shirts and a million pairs of shorts. I didn't know if I was going to do laundry or what I was going to do. And when I asked Ahmad about that, he goes, well, just send your laundry out at the hotel. I said, dude, come on. I go, I, I don't have thousands of dollars to do that. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's just, it's probably like 50 bucks or something. I go, yeah, it's 50 bucks. <laughs> right. You know, laundry in the States is a buck 25. I made that mistake my first road trip ever. I was up in Fresno and I sent out some clothes to be washed at the hotel. Yeah. And I got that. Yeah. They, they, they washed four pairs of socks, some shirts, some pants, and it was like $31 <laughs> to do it to what? I didn't even, that wasn't even dry cleaning. So I said, I'm not even taking the chance. So I, I did bring a ton of stuff with mm-hmm. me. And, um, you know, we, we flew to Dubai, and it was a six-hour layover in Dubai. 
So I walked around and looked at all of the... Talk about a high-end mall oh, of, of an airport there. Crazy. I, I mean, Like it Cartier is, and all these things. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you, you hang out in their airport, and it's, a, it's really astonishing. And I called a prayer happened while I was in the airport, mm-hmm. which was great. And I wanted to go into the mosque and observe it. I wanted to walk in. But, you know, trepidatiously, I... I I thought twice and then three times about it because I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody. I figure it's the first day. I mean, the last thing I'm going to do is get thrown in handcuffs and thrown into a dungeon here in the airport <laughs> because I walk in, everybody's praying. I'm like, hey, fellas, what's going on? You're like, God? I mean, that's stupid. <laughs> so I, was, I, I walked past the men's prayer lounge and I and men were going in and I waited and, I, and finally I didn't pull the trigger on it. But it's so cool to be sitting there and all of a sudden call to prayer echoes through the airport because mm-hmm. uh, you're not expecting it, certainly. And I, I mean... I found out later that some of these guys have apps on their phones that tell them when they're supposed to pray, like five times a day. I find it less cool at five in the morning when I'm trying to sleep. Oh, I don't doubt that. Yeah. (laughs) I find that a little less cool. (laughs) Well, it was, yeah, it was five in the morning. I just happened to be sitting in the airport. Uh And, uh, but yeah, so much to buy and see, even in the airport, they're selling cars in the airport. I know, it's great. Literally selling cars and crystal and diamonds and anything you could possibly want. Uh, And, you know, then... You leave America and you're you're in the international, but then when you land in Dubai, you start to see the dishdasas and you start to see the the local garb, and and it kind of hits you a little bit. You're like, oh, okay, I'm I'm here. And also, their airport is a palace. And then when you fly out of Dubai, you look down and it looks like Tatooine. I mean, it is just <laughs> it's a desert with that one amazing building that the, the tallest building in the world right in the center of it. I, I have photos from the plane where it just it just but you looks, almost hit it. This barren lake, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a wind caught on it, it and spun us around. <laughs> Uh, but it's just this barren landscape, and you're yeah. taking. I took photos of it, but and but in the center of it, there's this shiny chrome, huge. You're waiting for Mad Max to drive by. It's <laughs> the. I don't know how people live in that environment. It's crazy. So you land in uh, Kuwait, and was uh, Ahmad there to pick you up? He was. Uh, I, I will tell you this: the, um, the we went to the luggage carrier. So you know, you get off in the airport, and. LAX is, you know, like I said, it's busy, but it's still a modern airport. And Dubai was a palace. You land in Kuwait. Mm, oh, a little rough? A little different. Yeah. yeah I mean, it is, it is children climbing all over one another, dishdasas and burkas, and it's, uh, it's, it's, all, it's very close. It's, almost, it's like LaGuardia. Oh, You've God. been in LaGuardia, right? Yeah. The death trap. <laughs> right. Well, that's what Kuwait reminded me of. It was very LaGuardia. Everybody was on top of one another, everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to make my way through. And also then, you know, I come out... And I'm 6'2". Yeah. And you're great with personal space. Uh, Oh, sure I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, even on accident, I'm bumping into people just because I'm a giant. (laughs) That was the thing is I I was, you know, a large white guy as I come out of the terminal. And like I said, 6'2", 300 pounds, and you get get looked at. And I'm a white dude on top of all of it. And then I, you know, I got my hair pulled back, whatever. So so I go to the the carousel to get my luggage. And... uh, you know how in, in America everybody huddles over the carousel because they're waiting for their stuff, and you just you just sigh because you don't understand why people. It's going to come out. It's going to be there. People will be gracious and help you if they have to, but it doesn't matter. Well, the same thing happens in Kuwait. Everybody is hovering, and and but they're not. You know, I don't speak their language, so I can't be like, excuse me. But they're and they're very much establishing a personal beachhead. Like, don't even think of getting in here. So a bag comes through, and I'm waiting for mine. And a guy goes to cut through, and nobody will let him through. They're all kind of like jostling him. He goes to grab his suitcase, and he's he's struggling with it with his left hand. And so I reach over and I grab it, and I go to pull it off to help him. And he's a he's a he looked like a Muslim with the the no mustache beard. You know what I'm talking about? The really long beard down to his oh, chest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have like a goatee or a mustache. It's just a a, a beard all the way down to his chest. Uh, and I so I grab the suitcase and I go to pull it off. 
and he just starts yelling in uh it may have been indian i i because it wasn't arabic and he just okay. started, and he goes and he starts hitting me he hits me twice on the shoulder he jacks me in the shoulder and i'm like what what dude i'm helping and he and he thought i i don't know if he thought i was taking his bag or don't touch my stuff i don't know but i i he pulls it off finally gets it off the carousel and i'm just like dude i don't all right wow fine. yeah and you I'm know gonna, what that guy needs to do wrap his bag in plastic <laughs> yeah he does no kidding right <laughs> Uh, and, and look, again, I come from America where if you look cross-eyed at anybody, you're going to get the interview. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't be yelling at an airport, <laughs> especially with a name like whatever Hussein or whoever. <laughs> so I, I go on the other side of the carousel and there's a, you know, we're surrounded by burkas and dishdasas. And again, we're in Kuwait and there are Muslim men who walk up and they're young. And there's about eight of them. And they, they start gathering bags and kind of moving stuff around. And there's a, um, a woman who is English. And I had seen her in Dubai at the airport. I'd, she'd flown in with me, and I'd, she'd made eye contact with me getting out of the plane. Like, kind of like, looked at me like, and kind of like nodded, like, yeah, you and me, we're in this together, I guess. I don't know, Mary Poppins, but good for you. But does that give you perspective of, like, we, we take it for granted that we don't think about our race all the time going Absolutely. into places. And when they talk about, like, whether it's African-Americans in an all-white neighborhood or in a business or in a bank. Yeah. They know that they're the only black guy there. Of course, they stand And we out. never think about that, I mean, 99% of the time. No, and even like you said, when you went to Europe, you probably didn't think about no. it at all, you know? But I, I was clearly... Yeah, but when I'm in Vietnam and just like, you know, towering <laughs> right. over people, just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and then you notice the other white guy in the, in, the, in the building. Hey, you almost want to give him like a signal. How are hey, you doing? In I case see you over there, happens. Dutch guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. It's because that's what happened. She right. gave me the nod in the plane. Like, you guys are going to protect one another somehow. I don't know what she thought. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, she was reaching out. Like, if anything goes down, you know I've got you. You've got me, right? Right. And I've got you. I don't, I don't, again, I'm I'm here. Who are you? Yeah, I'm Kuwaiti as far as I'm concerned (laughs) for the next 10 days. So uh, I go around, and she's standing there, and these young Muslim men are are taking this stuff off of the belt. And she she literally leans over to me and kind of side mouths me, and she goes, do they look suspicious to you? And, and I, I'm not kidding, Mike. I, I just I, I did the slow burn, like the little like the Jack Benny, and just turned at her and looked at her, and I just went, "Look at my hair," because I have a mohawk, essentially. You know what I mean? My hair's all pulled back and shaved on the sides, and she looks at me, and I was like, "We're the ones who look suspicious. We're the ones who are out of place. You should probably realize where you're at." And she just went, "Oh," and she kind of you know clutched her pearls and fainted, <laughs> and I walked away. <laughs> oh my goodness! But yeah, I have the vapors. But I, I just wanted to. I, I hated it. I really yeah. hated that moment because it was like, "You really? You've come to their to their land, and you're going to have that attitude. You're going to be staring at them and think. I mean, believe me, you got a long trip. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know who isn't going to look Everybody, suspicious. Does the cab driver look? Does the guy <laughs> behind the hotel desk look suspicious? <laughs> You mean everyone, ma'am? Yeah, everyone. Everyone in the f- country? Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my introduction to, to that. And also, it's interesting that, you know, when you go, when you land in Dubai, you know, they, they put your bags through security again. You know, yeah, that's, that was interesting to me. And then when, in Ku- when I was in Kuwait, they run your bags through security to leave the airport. Yeah. Even though it's been through security, it's been through whatever, they, but they x-ray it again on the way out, which I, I didn't understand why, but I'm, I don't care. It's their, their thing. <laughs> so Ahmad picks me up, and, and I tell him about the guy hitting me and about the woman, and he looks at me and he goes, well, how does this happen to you? You're here five minutes. I go, I have no idea, dude. <laughs> Get ready for the next 10 days. And this is the show. <laughs> so, I mean, on first impressions, what was your... What was your first impression, and how did it compare to what your thoughts were leading up to it? Like, what you thought it would be, and then what it was. 
Well, How did it differ? Well, it differed because I had spoken to you and to Graham and some people, and they had told me there was a, that uh, it was Americanized. They said, you know, don't worry, Kuwait is very Americanized. They love Americans over there. You're going to be fine. Um, but I, w- I was shocked at just how big the American footprint is in Kuwait. And I was shocked at how modern Kuwait City is. I don't, I guess, you know, my mind is still stuck in 1991. You know, so I'm, I, I even told uh, Ahmad, I said, I want, I really, I want to see like some rubble from the Gulf War, like palaces that were destroyed and and uh, he's, he's, he literally looks at me because I was three months old when that happened. Like, right. I, don't, I don't have any idea, <laughs> no touchstone with that at all. God, it's amazing. It was 25 years ago. Isn't it crazy? I thought the wow. same thing because that's, that's where my head is at. I hear Kuwait, I immediately think of the Gulf War. And so I just thought it was this war-torn nation. Uh, but then you walk in and there's chrome. And I mean, they had, you know, you went downtown Kuwait City. There was one skyscraper that was right out of Blade Runner because it has television from the top to the bottom, just moving images being uh, on the side of the building. Yeah. Uh, so I was really surprised. I, I expected, again, I, I don't know. I expected Ishtar, you know, <laughs> sand and camels and that kind of thing. But then you, everybody's in cars. I mean, I'm, I'm in Ahmad's car listening to Iron Maiden, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and Kiss and, and all the, uh, you know, the music I listened to. He's just, it was just, he was just a guy. So, I mean, <laughs> I, my first impression was that it was going to be very much run down and, they, and they'd all be driving those like you know amc pacers or gremlins that are all beaten up like every war movie we've ever seen right. they've got some shitty jeep somewhere i, I found in uh, in croatia too that I, I wanted to talk about the war like in the 80s and, and find out or the 90s i should and uh they didn't want to talk about it really? even the guys who fought about it i think they they were ready to move on and i mean they weren't mad about it but they didn't i could tell that they weren't eager to which makes Relive sense. Relive it. I mean, they just wanted to look look ahead. You know, that was then. And that and that makes complete sense because, yeah. I mean, we, we look at them in the terms of a history book. You know, we hear of the war in Croatia. We yeah, think of the like, Kuwait and the Gulf War, and we hear what we're told about terrorist training camps and monkey bars and nonsense. Yeah. But it would be like if you, from America, an actor and a comedian and a podcaster and a world traveler, <laughs> if every time you went somewhere, they went, so, man, where were you on 9-11? <laughs> right. You know, or, hey, what, were, what was it like in World War II? And you go, I have, dude, I got no clue. Vietnam, that was a rough one, huh? Yeah, I, dude, I don't know. <laughs> so if they really wanted to take any cultural touchstone from our country that they learn about in their history books that they know about of some worldwide event, right? You know, that, it's got to be uh, terrible for them. How was it uh, price wise in terms of like traveling here as compared? Is it was it expensive? Or is it not expensive? Well, I like I said, I bought the I bought the economy ticket because I didn't want to be, because business class was double. Right. I paid, it was about, it was about 1100 for the ticket. I bought. But I mean, on the land there, I mean, is like food and going out and, and Oh like- man, you know what? I will tell you this, the first night we went out to dinner, uh, and, <laughs> Ahmad and me and Ahmad and a bunch of his guys from his crew, you know, we had fucking Abdullah and blind Abdullah and Khalid and Hamid oh, and sure. all these dudes. Huh? Sounds like you got a great band. It was fantastic. <laughs> so we went to a Turkish steakhouse, man. And they, they a put, Turkish steakhouse. Yeah, yeah, dude. Okay. They, and they put on the show, like, they had the curly mustaches and the tall hats. Oh, yeah. And uh, two dudes came out, and they, like, set some arugula on fire and a bunch well, of they dancing. spin around the dervishes? The, uh, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Those are the whirling dervishes. Though. Right. And so yeah. they, and they, they, you know, they brought out a giant short rib, and they chopped it to hell, and they put it on. You're just, <laughs> and you just keep grabbing meat. That's all it was. The kofta stuffed with cheese. I mean, everything was so mm. delicious. So they bring all the food out. And this, this steakhouse was in a mall in a skyscraper. I mean, it just, you know, again, that thing where it's not this standalone business. Uh, this is the first night we go out. They bring the check, and I, I don't know anything about the money yet. So they bring the check, and I see uh, 237 dinar. And Ahmad, everybody reaches, and Ahmad goes, I got this. And I go, well, dude, let me kick in something. He goes, no, nah, don't worry about it. I got it. He goes, you're not paying for anything the whole time you're here. 
So he pays the thing. So I, but I remember the numbers. I don't because I don't know what it is until I get to my room and I Google it. Uh, that was an eight hundred dollar dinner, Mike. Wow! The first night what, I was for there. how many guys? Eight. Eight. Eight at the Turkish Steakhouse. And they just kept, you know, said they brought a bunch of meat. And there's no yeah. booze. Or, this is, is this a dry country? Completely uh, no booze, no smoking. Wow. Smoking is banned. Okay. Uh, liquor is banned, uh, which I found interesting. You know, I, I, I guess I thought they would have liquor. You know, smoking is one thing. But I, I, again, I'm sure you know, the hotel probably had a bar for the Westerners. No, I'm not, I don't drink, so I didn't really look at it. But no. I got to be honest, I don't think they did. I mean, I, I, it's really? A, yeah, yeah, because Ahmad told me, he goes, no, man, there's, when we went to Ahmad's Beach House, when we left, I was being driven with Hamed, who's in the army out there, and he there was a police checkpoint. And as we pulled up, Hamed just waved at them because he knows every cop in the country for some reason. <laughs> and we drove off, and uh, he told me, he said, uh, it's not like America. He said, if, they, if you drink here, you know, you're not supposed to drink because then young people will go drink. But if they catch you and you're drunk, they'll take you to the jail and you sleep it off, and then they send you home. Hmm. He said, you won't, they don't prosecute you. There's no, you know, because it's so rare in occurrence. Right. So it's all under the table yeah. and hidden. Right. But drugs are a different story, obviously. Right. right. But booze, he said, yeah, it's not, it's not that big a deal. But yeah, it's smoke, even smoking was banned. And we went to, we went to Helltown. I mean, I, cause I said to him, I go, I want to go see a terrible place. Like I want to see something <laughs> awful. Cause I mean, I, I want to see a terrible place. Well, I had a plan. I like, I, I wanted to, I wanted to see a monkey and I wanted to, you know, <laughs> eat, a monkey? Eat I don't know. Cause I don't know what they have there. Monkeys. I wanted to see, I wanted to ride a camel. I wanted to do right. you know, all these different things. I actually asked them when I first arrived, I said, I'd like to go to Iraq and I'd like to go to Saudi Arabia if we can. Mm, yeah. And he, he said, that's exactly what he said. Yeah, he goes, yeah, you're tough. an American. You're probably yeah, not going to get in there. Yeah. <laughs> he said, we can go to the border and try. And, uh, I, and that idea dissipated because we were having fun anyway. And it was like, you know, yeah, I'd rather not have... push our luck here. <laughs> exactly. But, but you know, my logic again, I've never been there. I don't ever know if I'll ever be back in that, that part of the world again. Right. So why not take the shot? Yeah. You know, so I mean, I was willing to try it if they would have they would have done it, but but I of course wisely listened to them because they grew up there and they know he's like, yeah, no, you don't want to go to Saudi Arabia. Had they me. been to all these other countries, or did oh, they yeah. just know not to go? Or... No, they he's been there. I mean, he they they travel quite a bit. Like Ahmad, right. when you know, the week after I was leaving, he was here. He was in Philadelphia and hanging out. Um, when I left, he handed me a wad of cash. He, he looks at me and he goes, "I want to give you a tip," and he hands me a wad of money. And I saw a five hundred dollar bill on the top, or five hundred bill. And I was like, "What are you doing?" Because I thought it was dinar. Oh, so I, you know, that's what I'm saying. A lot of money. Yeah, no kidding, dude. It was a <laughs> thick stack. So I, I, I there's like three thousand whatever it was. And I go, mm-hmm. "What is this?" I go, "This, this isn't dinar, right?" I mean, this is ridiculous. He goes, "No, Jesus, no." He goes, "This is Honduran money I had in my room, and I thought it'd be hilarious <laughs> to give it to you because I kept taking pictures of currency when I was there." Oh, really? Um, there's some dude. Th- I think it's Swedish or Swiss money. It looks like David Lynch is on it. Oh, really? I swear to God, it looks like David Lynch. Because they had, you know, you went to all the different shops and they were selling the, the Saddam Hussein, right. the currency that has his face on it. Uh, there's the, you know, the Iranian currency with the Khomeini on it and all the, the Ayatollahs. So well, I, Swedish would be the euro. So it might be a Swiss franc. No, yeah, it might be. Yeah, be, I, but I took a photo of it and I swear <laughs> to God, it's David Lynch. I, I just went, holy Jesus. A nice head of hair. Yeah, like, dude. Okay. So they had a bunch of those. And, and uh, so that was fascinating to me. But as far as expensive, like I was in the room one night and uh, I, I, he told me there's a, a, a place called Talabat. It's basically like Grubhub. They'll deliver you food from anywhere in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got to be able to wait. If you want to wait for it, then that's cool. So he gave me the number. He goes, here's Talabat, and there's their website. He goes, if you're ever hungry in the room, just order that, man. So I did. One night I ordered shrimp and lentils from Talabat, and it was uh, 4.5, four and a half dinar, or four and a third dinar, because they have weird coins. 
um, which essentially was you know twelve bucks mm-hmm. because uh, you know I cashed it. It was thirty dinar for a hundred bucks. So, or yeah, exactly. So I so they brought the shrimp and lentils. Oh my Christ, dude! For, first of all, the the Hilton guy wouldn't let the delivery guy in because uh, uh, there were military men at my at the Hilton where I stayed. Oh okay. Uh, they they had a checkpoint that looked under every car and all that stuff. But then there were guys with actual automatic weapons like walking around at one day or one or two days. And Ahmad's like, I don't even know why this is going. It's not like this. I don't. I don't know what's happening. Maybe somebody and big was in town. I figured that, or there had to be a threat or something. Right. But uh, because there were a ton of armed dudes, uh, like two days. Or they've heard your podcast. Maybe could they be it. They knew I was in town. <laughs> the, the, guy at the, the guy at the airport is a luggage thief <laughs> <laughs> and tackled this dude. Uh, so that was like four, you know twelve bucks. But then they brought it, and it was food for fucking six people. I oh, mean, it really? was so. I took photos of it. It was ridiculous. It didn't even fit on the table in the in the in the hotel room. So they didn't they didn't screw you. I mean, it was. It was, you know, everything was moderate. We went to go, we went to eat at a, at a kebab joint. And again, it was like, it was 25 bucks and six of us ate and just didn't stop eating. You know what I mean? So I remember you had mentioned on the show that you went there, you were kind of surprised to see that, uh, much like here and, and many other countries, but especially in the, in the Middle East, the, the residents and the natives are all, I mean, they're wealthy, not all, but it's a wealthy country for them, but they have, they have no problem bringing in almost indentured servants, and usually from Pakistan and that, India. That's exactly what they are. And they do all the servants. work. Oh, sure. Basically. Yeah. Ahmad explained to me that anybody in Kuwait does not do labor. Yeah. They don't. They work for the oil people or they're rich. They're, you know, I, I mean, Ahmad. It's a small country. It's well, a small population <laughs> with course. a lot of money. It's the second strongest economy in the world. Wow. So when I... Uh, you know, I asked him because when I said his name on my show, of course, I couldn't find him on, on social media. But everybody who listens went and they started writing me. and They're like, is it this guy? Because if it's this guy, holy Jesus, because he has the same name as somebody in the royal family. So they're like, it's probably like five common names, though, that. Oh, my God. Everybody there has. is. Yeah, yeah there's because right. there, I mean, his name is Ahmad Alawadi. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a, there's a house. Like Johnson. Literally, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a house of Alawadi there. There's, oh, yeah, a, you yeah, know, yeah. all these different things. So he told me, he goes, I, I think I'm related distantly to some of them, but we have no idea. But he goes, no, I am firmly middle class. And, uh, but in Kuwait, that means something different than it means here. You know? Um, yeah, the idea of servants in a lot of countries is, is much different than we put on it. No, you know it, what I mean? They, sure. they think nothing. Like in India or something, everybody has like somebody yeah. to... I mean, I was very surprised. There's there's guys just in the street sweeping rubble, like yeah. for no, all these Indians, all these Pakistanis, all these, and they are just, they are invisible. They are completely invisible. They they are just there to serve their purpose, and then they disappear into the mist and right. to come back out the next day and pump your gas. I mean, I was, I, you know, once we went, I made him take me to what essentially is a ghetto area, a bad area. And we drove through and you saw that's where all, you know, tons of Pakistanis and tons of Indians, you know, are sitting on the street eating bread. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. And we just drove. He goes, we're not getting out here. He goes, well, you're just not. And I said, all right. So we drove through. I filmed it. But it was really interesting to me to see that's where all of those people congregated and where they lived. But Kuwaitis, they, you know, they don't, they don't do, he told me they don't, we don't work in the grocery stores. We don't do anything. And I said, well, that's kind of awful. I mean, these people are here and they're. They're working, certainly, and so they're making a living, but you guys, because they were invisible to all of these people. You just took for, taken for granted. And he goes, no, he goes, it's actually good. He goes, because they'd be, if they were in India, they'd be sitting in the street making no money. The money they make here, they send back home, and they're making, you know, triple, quadruple what they would make back there, even in a grocery store, even pumping gas. And uh, it, it was interesting to me to see that they're, you know, um, some Asians, but mainly Indians and Pakistanis, and they are, they are 
your waiters and they are every, every service yeah. job you could imagine. It's them. Did what would give me the craziest thing you ate? I ate camel. I okay. finally, I finally got to eat camel. Um, and tastes like. You know what? The, the, it was only in a camel burger. Like that was the week because we were, we tried to find a place that would just serve like a filet or something. But the only place we could find that served camel was it was a Brazilian steakhouse, uh, churrasco. You know what I mean? Right. Which was weird. So, but they had a hashi. You know those Brazilian camels that are so common. <laughs> they called it the hashi burger. And it was a picture of a camel. And it's like, we well, you know, enjoy it. Or, so <laughs> we, uh, we were there and I was Muhammad and Khalid got the Brazilian steakhouse stuff. Ahmed got a salad and I got a, a, a hashi burger. Yeah. So they knew better. Oh yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. They wanted nothing to do with it. So uh, I bit it, and it's 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 so dry that they have to pack it together really tight, and then cook the hell out of it to make sure it's not raw or or rare even. It's it it tasted like nothing. It just tasted really? like a really crunchy. It, you know what it tasted like? It had the same consistency as a veggie burger. Okay. It didn't taste like meat. I mean, it just it tasted crispy so lean, and cooked. There's, there's no yes. fat on them? It's crazy lean. But isn't all the fat in the hump? Yeah, I, that's what I said. I but whacked off a chunk of the hump, sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but then the best part is I, mean, I ate the burger. I ate like four bites of it, and I was like, I can't. I mean, this is just – because it wasn't good, period. It's not like, oh, this is camel. It was right. like, ah, this is nasty. So then the Brazil, the uh, the Indian and Pakistani waiters would come by, you know, because Brazilian steakhouse is a meat puzzle. They just come up and they're like, who wants a prime rib? And they whack it off until you're done. <laughs> well, they kept, that's what Ahmad and, and Khalid, or Muhammad and Khalid got. So then they would look at me and they go, you want to try, sir? And I'd go, I don't, I said, all right, yeah. So they'd chop meat for me. And every time they came by, they would do it. They'd give some to them and then they'd say, you want to try, sir? And they'd give me, I was, so I was eating, like the fifth time it happened, I finally go, why are these guys, because this is right on the menu, no sharing. So I looked at Ahmed, I, I, Ahmed, I go, why are they doing this? And he goes, because you're American. I said, really? He goes, yeah, they, they, uh, they're fascinated by you probably. They don't see a lot of them. So they want to be – it's like they instinctively want to be nice to you and, and oh, do a wow. good thing. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting you know, <laughs> because normally you're getting the stink guy from everybody because exactly. you're an American dude. But these guys, they were – because they saw a white guy and they were just like gravitated and they wanted to talk to me and say stuff to me. And, <laughs> you know, and I asked Ahmad when I got there. I said, look, can I, can I say hello to people? Can I make eye contact with people? Should I look away from women? I don't – you know, if a woman's in a burqa, can I look at her? Do I not? And – and he, he laughed, you know, they thought it was funny, but he said, you know, be careful, you know, do what you want to do because yeah, you can smile at people or look at people, do what you want. And at that Brazilian steakhouse was one of the coolest moments that happened. I was walking, I went and used the restroom in the back of the restaurant. When I walked out, there was a woman in a burqa and she had like four kids and, and they were walking through and then there was a younger woman in a burqa. And I, I caught the eye of the younger woman in the burqa and she was full burqa, like all I saw were her eyes. That's oh, it. God. Um, but she had done her, her eyes were, of course, it's the most elaborate eye makeup. You you know, it's it's interesting to me that they they wear that, but then they make their eyes so expressive. And I caught her eye and I smiled right at her. I looked at her. And even though she was you could not see anything at all except her eyes. You, I knew she just she gave me like a huge smile when I oh, caught her eye and wow. I smiled at her. Yeah, it was just it was this really neat moment because a lot of people were looking away or walking away. But she looked right at me. I looked right at her. I smiled and she smiled a huge smile underneath the burqa. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. So we're Ahmad and and. His friends, all of them not married? They are not married. They are all, uh, like I said, around that 26 to 28 age. Uh, and like I said, it was fascinating to me that they, uh, you know, Ahmad's working. Some of them are still in school. They all live at home. They live with their parents and, yeah. and not because they're broke. I find that to be more common around the world because it's a very American thing to want to leave home. Whereas in, in most countries, I think it's, you know, family is very important and you don't, a lot of times it's a money thing, especially in poor countries. You can't afford to leave home. But yeah. the idea of moving away from your family is not, it's not heard of. I well, mean, you, you said, would never think of moving away from your family. Right. You said something interesting there. 
<laughs> Sorry. You said something interesting where you said uh, it, it's a, Americans want to leave home. Yeah. I think Americans want. I, literally, I found there to be – everyone's there is content with what they have. Uh, if they get to do other things or they get more things, that's fine. But there's no rat race as far as I could tell. Uh, and I, I was ashamed of myself a little bit because these guys were all young and there's some of them are in school and, and they're just happy. They're happy to go out with their friends or hang out or do this, or they're happy with whatever comes along. And we're taught here, no, nah, man, you got to get ahead of that guy. You got to get this. I, you know, you got to get a bigger apartment, a bigger house, a better life. And they have their life and they're content. You know, they live with their parents. And uh, Ahmad told me if he takes a, if he takes a wife, he will uh, move in with his parents and they will live because his house is giant. You know, he took mm-hmm. me there. It's this three-story monstrosity, <laughs> right. gigantic. So they all live in there and they've got servants and they get taken care of and they work their jobs and, and they're happy. And I, I, I thought they were suckers. And it's the weirdest thing, like, like that weird mentality of these guys are so naive. Like they don't know what the real world is like. They're going to get fleeced. But truth be told, they're, they're never going to get fleeced because they're not going to have to go out into the real world, into America, and get, and get bamboozled or fooled. You know what I mean? They're, they're perfectly content where they are and happy doing what they're doing. And like I said, I felt ashamed that I looked at them as almost like children in their naivety. But, but <laughs> in truth, they, that's their culture and that's how they live and they're happy to do it. And they're, they're happy with... It's, they're almost like Wooderson in, in you know what I mean? Or, or like Damone in Fast Times. Wherever you go, that's the there best place are. in the world. Isn't yeah. this great? This is great. That's what it felt like because they just were so happy with everything right. and they were cool with it. They didn't, you know, uh, Ahmad works his job and he does what he does, but when he leaves his work, he doesn't care and he goes home and, right. you know, they're just happy. They're content. Compared to most of the rest of the world, America is like the way Hollywood is to the rest of the country. You know how it's so dog eat dog here and That's everything great. like that, <laughs> like in yeah, LA. Dude, you're absolutely right. That's the right. way, like Amer- they look at America. Just like it's just, cl- it's a hard way yeah. to live. For all we have, uh, the happiness scale, we're not as high as we should be because we've it's been like told. Every, yeah, it's, it's never enough. No, and if you always compare more. yourself to other people. You would, and that's one of the things that I love about travel is that uh, it makes me appreciate all I have. I can learn to live with a lot less. You know, I'm yeah. I'm getting smaller right now. Exactly. I'm like I'm selling. Yeah. I, I learned I could live out of a backpack in a room, and as long as there's, uh, you appreciate things like the water. Sure. Coming out the, of the tap that that's not going to kill you. I couldn't drink the water in Kuwait. Yeah. I had to drink. I, it was so much so that they they brought bottled water to the room. Yeah. You, know, you appreciate it, it now, don't they, you? Exactly. They had five bottled waters in the room every day for you. And, uh, and then I bought a case and I had it in the room. And then, but you go to a restaurant, they would open up an Aquafina, and that's what everybody got. There's, you're not drinking the water at all. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you learn to accept these things. And you go, man, this is, this is kind of amazing. You know, I, 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 like I said, I was disappointed in myself that I felt that way about them. But to see them, you know, Ahmad had a Mercedes. But he didn't care. He was just like, yeah, my dad gave me this car. But it was a 2015 Mercedes. Yeah. We went to park at a juice joint like, to get a, you know, they have like those, you know, Jamba Juice? Of course. Well, they have like that, but they're all different. Like they have, and they put Snickers in their juice. I mean, they make all this <laughs> right. weird ass shit. So uh, he told me there's this one called like the Love Bomb and there were all these different flavors. And, uh, and we, so we're, we would stop you and you pull up and the poor people run out of the shop and go, what do you want? And you tell them and they run in and they make it and they run back to your car because it's so hot. You don't ever have to get out of your car. <laughs> But we're getting juice one day, and a guy in a, like a Range Rover is next to us, and he hits Ahmad's car. He's backing out, and he clips the back. And I go, I think that dude just hit you. And he goes, really? And I go, yeah. And the guy's going to drive away. I go, you want me to get him? And he goes, no. I go, he hit your car, man. That guy, he's, <laughs> he's driving away. You're not going to settle this up? And he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it still runs. We're fine. So I got out and looked, and there's you know, a big paint stripe and a dent, and, I, and he just goes, eh. 
<laughs> he yeah, was right. fine with it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, dude, I wanted to run down the street after the guy who hit him because it's like pull over and exchange information or do something or at least say you're sorry or give a wave. But they just, he's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they're just happy with life, <laughs> man. Whatever happened, happened. Uh, Where did it, uh, did it like pique your interest to see other things? I mean, do you want to... Where would if you had a dream destination, where would you go next? Well, I, I've always wanted to to travel internationally. I just never have had the opportunity or the or the you know the wherewithal the finances. Um, Japan, I mean, I, that's clearly top of the list. I would want to go to Japan. And I would spend as much time there as I possibly could. Ireland, I would I really want to go to. Um, you know, Europe obviously in Toto is is, is what you want to go in England and France. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, I want to go everywhere, but. Japan, Ireland, Spain. Those would be the three that I, I absolutely would have to go to and will eventually. What, what is it about Japan that fascinates you? The culture. The I mean, I, I, I love the food. I love sushi. I, um, I love martial arts. And so, again, like I said, reading about the, the history of it there. And that's and Brazil is also on the list, but Brazil... I'm going to have to get a little, a few more countries under my belt before I tackle Brazil. <laughs> if you could handle Kuwait, you could do Brazil. No, I, no, I don't know, man. I, I, again, that's another <laughs> There's one. There's a language that, issue. There is that. I well, mean, there, unless was, you're with somebody that, who knows the... Well, there was that in Kuwait, too. I mean, a lot of yeah, people spoke yeah. English, but I, I didn't but venture out. you had an out. escort everywhere. Exactly. I didn't venture out by myself to try and do it, like with cab drivers or whoever else. Um, but yeah, Japan absolutely is, is top of the list. I mean, I, I'm just fascinated by even the scenery, the bullet train and going through yeah. and seeing the prefectures and all of it. And I, I, I love the culture. I just love the whole idea of it. And, and you'd love it. And it's easy and it's just, uh, it's just expensive, but sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, clean and safe. It's cleaner and safer than here. And nice. It's, uh, and Tokyo is just a crazy, it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. But I'd want to go to the Tokyo with all the, with all the hustle and the bustle and yeah, the city yeah. and all There's that. There's a lot of that. And, I, and then I'd 20, want to go, 20 million people. Right. I mean, it's, you'll get everything. Yeah. And I'd, and I'd want to go out to a prefecture where there was nothing but gardens and, and water and stillness and, and just experience all of that. I mean, it's, I, it's on the list. I really want to go. Jill wanted to go to the Galapagos Islands. Oh yeah. That's I was like, wondering, I still haven't done that. That's her dream. You know, so that was a plan that we had is to go to the Galapagos, just always to, to make that happen. We, we were looking within five years cause we had a Galapagos fund. Actually, we're going to start putting money in cause she, we're trying to figure the best time to go and to be able to see the tortoises and the whole deal, you know? Right. So, I mean, I have so many plans and other places that I really want to go to. This was a nice step you yeah, know, to no. go and learn something and, and see it firsthand. I, I stayed, I, like I said, I was there 10 days, and Kuwait's not big uh, because there's Kuwait City, and then there's some outlying suburbs and things like that. But then you drive, and it's desert. It's desert and oil refinery. And I'll tell you this. He told me, he goes, hey, man, when you see the oil refinery, you're going to freak out. I go, well, you know, we have one in Long Beach that's really huge. You drive by it all the time. And I said, when I was a kid, I lived by Mobile Oil in Illinois. It actually exploded. It shook my house when it blew up. It was on fire for like 10 days. He goes, yeah, no, you haven't seen anything like this. I said, all right, well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. So then we, we're driving back from his beach house at night, and you can see it in the distance. And as you come up, it's, it's like New York. Yeah, it's massive. It's, it's just oil. It's an oil city. Refiner. It's a city, absolutely. It's an oil city, an oil suburb. And, uh, and it's, it's got to be 10 miles in length, maybe more, and, and tall and glowing and, and beautiful, really starkly beautiful because it's in the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden it's just shiny and chrome and red and fire and it's astonishing when you come upon it and it just doesn't end you're it's like a hanna-barbera cartoon it's yeah. just constantly by the window <laughs> the same background as you're driving and i i was really taken aback he told me you know because again they have so much he said that the month before i think it was that i showed up every citizen in the country got a check for fifteen hundred dollars from the government yeah. it's like alaska yeah they just send them money they're just like <laughs> right. there you go uh, here's the stipend for this 
And uh, but I was just really taken aback by how gigantic it was. Yeah. You know, because I again, you see the one at Long Beach, and they're they're just feats of modern engineering that that throw you for a loop. But this. I can't even explain it. it. It looked like 10 space stations hooked together. It was insane. <laughs> so, I, I mean, that was a real wake-up call to see that because that's, that's the cottage industry. That's it. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was amazing. I mean, it was really just beautiful, all of it. And, and so the city itself is small. It's, not, it's no bigger than Denver, really. You know, mm-hmm. when you, the, so we were all over it in the 10 days. I went to every place you possibly could the, every, and then drove into the desert into nothingness. You know, so I would, I'd be interested to go to a place that actually has more, more, more. Oh, yeah. I mean, you would do – I mean, I think you would, uh, you would really enjoy – it's great to get a mix of like third world. You were kind of in a third world place but in a first world environment. Absolutely. You know I mean? Yeah. Well, the way I said it was it's like a country that's rebuilding – or that's building without rebuilding. Yeah. Because they are putting up all of these modern buildings, these skyscrapers. They had one that looked like a tuning fork. There's like a hole in the center of the building. It's insane. Uh, but then in the foreground, there's these dilapidated homes and palaces, and, and they're not being cleaned up. And he, he showed me these sheiks. I used to call them sheik houses. I go, these, are these sheik houses? He'd go, yeah, because sheiks will own them, but they won't stay in them for like 11 years. But they own them. But they're falling apart. I mean, they just look terrible, but they don't sell them and they don't fix them. So I was like, dude, we got to break in there. Let's totally sneak around. And he's like, you'll get shot. I go, there's nobody in there. He goes, you don't know that. <laughs> Your first thought, we got to break in there. Well, just hop the fence. You know what I mean? And take a look. <laughs> because we had one day where we totally just went out and I just kept taking pictures of everything. And uh, he brought me to a palace that had been, uh, that was the first place the Iraqis attacked in the Gulf War. Right. And uh, it turned out the brother of the emir was there and he was trying to help hold them off and he was actually murdered while the emir escaped. But it's still standing. But that you can't get in because the perimeter wall and stuff is still intact. But there's a couple of other buildings on the compound. I was able to jam my phone through a crack in the wall and take a picture of these buildings that were torn out. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, but, but again, that just looks like something out of a, a storybook. And then you turn around and like I said, there's these skyscrapers and the skyline and the Kuwaiti Towers and the Freedom Tower and the, uh, the Liberation Tower, I think, not Freedom mm-hmm. Tower. Just amazing. Uh, you know, you literally, you turn left, you turn right, and it's past and future. It's an interesting thing, though, is when you see a country with so much wealth and they say that about America when visitors come here, they think, how, how could you have so much money and then they'll still see homeless people everywhere yeah. or slums? And how can you just let that happen? And then I find myself doing that in a place like that mm-hmm. in Kuwait. You see that there's so much money here. Yeah. You can't, you know, tear yeah. down that one building and maybe fix it, but know, he would, but pave he, a road, yeah. maybe. Uh, <laughs> no kidding. We, we drove. Have drinkable it. water. How Everything about that? Everything is falling apart and you return and, and there's those murals of the sheiks everywhere, the people who run the country. I mean, whether they're in the mall on the wall or they're in some alleyway, they're everywhere smiling at you, just beaming down. And, uh, but, but you would go through and you'd say, he told me that nobody wants to do the work. Again, like you said, it's Indians and Pakistanis. I, I made fun of their road crews because we would see their road crews show up. And I, I, I just, it was just like an old movie where those guys with the big, thick mustaches would hit each other with ladders and dump whitewash <laughs> over their heads. I mean, they're just, you know, f- you know, 40 dudes to fix a hole and then just stand around in the heat. Just, I mean, it looked inept. All of them looked inept. Right. Uh, and because it's so hot, they don't want to move. They're not doing anything. Even the cops, you know, when we saw the police, because I, I, I said to them, and I go, how tough are your cops? Um, you know, because I was planning a heist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how many I just, could I take myself? Yeah. I just wanted to know. And, and he's like, no, nah, it's, they, it can be a problem. You know, they, they certainly, they're trained, they're ex-military, so they'll, they'll stop you if they have to. But they just, they also look distracted and because there's no crime, I, that's as far as I know. When I was there, there was one crime, like there was a fight on the freeway and someone pulled out an, uh, an expatriate and oh. beat, beat him on the, on the side <laughs> of the road. <laughs> that was on the front page of the Arab Times that was delivered Uh-oh. to my hotel room, yeah. Well, how, uh, 
how hot did it get and how could you do anything during the day? It was the hottest it was, was I think 123 degrees when I was there. Oh my God. And, uh, but I like heat. I know you made fun of me. Uh, that's not heat. That's, that's crazy. That's, it's that's insane. That's an oven. And I will tell you this too. It was humid while I was there. And he, oh, he even, even explained better. to me, he goes, I don't even, I don't even know. This is like literally the, the four days of humidity we're going to get this year. Um, you know, at night it was still 99. I mean, it was, it was hot. I, you just embrace it in your head. You go, it's going to be hot. I know it's going to be hot. The day we went out and just did sightseeing and we, I, we went to, there was supposed to be a planet Hollywood. He showed me where it was. So we go up and there's the doors that, I mean, like the doors to planet Hollywood. Are, and I, so I tried them. They were open. The sign was up? Uh, the, do- the door on the, the glass on the door still said Planet Hollywood. Okay. It was never built. Like they abandoned it. They never did it. <laughs> they had the red carpet they built premiere the, and then there was, that was it? <laughs> Just to the door and then they left because there's no building. <laughs> it was a set. Yeah. It was a movie set. <laughs> so Hollywood style. I tried the door and it was open. I go, well, we're going in here, of course. And we did. We went in and it was just storing old pictures of sheiks and like junk. And I tried to pick something up and I broke something. I'm like, all right, let's get the hell out of here. And we ran away. <laughs> um, but that was hot. There was a... Um, there was a jungle gym looking thing and I wanted to hang on it like, and take a photo. Like I was at the, at the terrorist monkey bars. Oh, sure. I couldn't put my hands on it. Uh, it was so hot. I tried, I, I, cause I'd go take this photo my and you could see my hands had red emblazoned <laughs> on the palm, like for a day and a half. Cause I was holding it. And then you, you can even see in the photo. I think I did that hover hand, like just over the pole. Cause finally I go, I can't do it. I can't touch this anymore. You're the guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He picked up the, um, <laughs> you know, the, the medallion. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was, it was that crazy. And, and we went and we, you know, even when we went, I swam in the Gulf, the Persian Gulf oh, you did? in the Indian ocean. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it, it's salty. I mean, saltier than here. It seemed like at least, but also the water was 90 degrees. Oh yeah. You know? And so Ahmad, we're at his beach house and it's right on the beach. So we go out and we swim in the ocean and we're out there for like an hour and a half. And then we go into his house. He's got a pool in his house. So, and it's not heated. So the water's like 68. We dove into that. It was awesome. Dude, it was uh-huh. like you're just out there 90 degrees and you walk and you jump in into the pool. It was so great. Um, but he had this giant house and he, to keep the sun out, he had these like James Bond shades that you'd push a button and they'd, they'd close over the windows, like, you know, gun turrets. I mean, it was insane. It was a beautiful place. I mean, and, and his houses were, I, you know, it's funny. You mentioned, are they, do they have any wives or anything or girlfriends? I, I didn't know what to do about that, like about women and, and the culture. So I went to Ahmad's house once, and he ran in to get us some bottled water, and I waited out by the car, and two women came out of his house. They didn't even look at me. They just walked right by me, and I stood there, and I kind of like waited to say hi. And they didn't, they didn't, I didn't make eye contact they didn't look at me. So his, he came out of the house with the water, and I said, hey, who are the two women? And he goes, oh, that's my sister and her friend. I said, hey, uh, just walk right by. You're not going to introduce me or anything? And he goes, mm, that would be weird. I said, why? He goes, well, that's not done here. I said, okay, so... He goes, it's not you. Uh, she would not talk to a strange man. It would be weird for her to talk to a strange man. I said, that's interesting. I, go, I literally would just said, hi, you can't tell her I'm your friend from America. And he goes, nah. He goes, my friends don't know my sister. He goes, I've been in, I was in first grade. That's where I met Khaled. And he doesn't know my sister. At what point do they stop being a strange man? When they show up at your house ever since their first grade? I don't know if every... they're allowed in. I don't, literally, yeah. I don't know. I, he, but that, I found that to be very interesting. Uh, he said his friends don't even know her. They know her, their names, and they know which one they are. And I'm sure maybe they could say hi to them. But he goes, yeah, but they don't know her. Is the, is the dating thing kind of like arranged by parents or anything? Like, yeah, oh, absolutely it is. It is. I, one, of, one of the guys in the crew uh, was texting with a girl. And he, he had a girl that he was courting. And uh, so when I asked about it, it turned out that 
his parents had met her parents and it was arranged. It was completely arranged. So he was kind of getting to know her through texting or whatever. And, but they, as far as he was concerned, they were in a relationship. Oh, okay. Which, and I, I don't know if he ever hung out with her or saw her a lot, you know, but, but, um, but he did. So there's I mean? no so, Tinder there? There is. There is it's Tinder? Funny, it's funny he would say that because then we get in the car. <laughs> I met his crew and all of his crew were like, they're guys in school, they're normal dudes. And then I met his friend Hamed, or Hamad. Hamad, he was clearly their Fonzie, like their, <laughs> their main guy. Hey. We pulled up outside of his house and uh, Ahmed got out of the car, out of the driver's seat and got in the back seat. I go, what are you doing? He goes, well, Hamad will drive. So Hamad comes out and he gets in the car and uh, and I I knew immediately that he was he was mis- mischievous he was he was fun you know right. he he was a guy with a twinkle in his eye he was a g- really good looking guy he's in the army so he he has this bulletproof thing about him where he can do whatever he wants <laughs> so he gets in the car and we had been driving past the national soccer stadium and I uh, Ahmed kept saying yeah the lights were on and I go why are the lights on in the soccer because I wanted to see a soccer game and he said nah man they're they're not playing this week so we went to a shisa bar and we watched games on on TV. Mm-hmm. But the lights were always on at the National Stadium, and I'd be like, why are, they, why are the lights on? He goes, I don't know. And so when we got Hamid, he goes, why don't you ask Hamid? He lives here. So Hamid was driving. Uh, first of all, Hamid pulls up to a stop sign, and he goes, no, no, and he just drove right through it. <laughs> he, like, would, he never observed any traffic signals, and the guys would laugh. They thought it was hilarious, but it reminded me of being in high school right. when you just do dumb shit in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, that's how he lived his life. So he, one time he turned left into oncoming traffic and then swerved into the – because he didn't want to go deal with the median – Instead of turning right and doing a U-turn, he just turned left into oncoming traffic and then swerved over into the right-hand side <laughs> and just laughing. <laughs> and his friends are laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, this is exactly what I did when I was 25. You know, that dumb stuff when you're 20 or you're 15. Right. So, Hamed. You're uh, like the Jersey Shore crew. Basically, yeah. So, <laughs> I, says, I said to Hamed, and he didn't speak English very well. He understood it, but he did not speak it very well. And I said, why are the lights on at the soccer stadium? He said, what? And I go, why are the lights on? He goes, you want to see? I said, Sure. So he literally just drove onto the onto the pitch, like not onto the pitch, but I mean no. onto the literally drove into the parking lot, just waved at the security guy. I didn't say anything. We drove in. We parked at the National Soccer Stadium. We got out, and he goes, "Let's go." We walked in. To the, we snuck in to the <laughs> National Soccer Stadium. Walked right past these guys. Nobody said a word to us because you pretend you're supposed to be there. I'm on the field. I start filming it. There's a cl- there's a club team practicing. Oh, That's okay. what they were doing. <laughs> So we're just, I'd filmed Hamed. I go, why, why did you even just bring us in here? And he's just laughing. And we're, so I'm on the, I was on the pitch. I was actually on the field <laughs> with the team because he said, let's go. So then he's like, hey, sh- sh-, and he wings me over. We go in the locker room. He takes a pair of shoes and he walks out. <laughs> he took a pair of he shoes. He took a pair of shoes just to prove that he could. And then he right. brought them back. <laughs> then we went into their, their corporate offices into their trophy rooms and we're looking at all their trophies and taking photos. I mean, it was insane. We just snuck in. <laughs> he didn't care. So then we're driving and he's got his phone out and I think it's called ha- Hamaz or Haraz, uh, it's their Tinder. Oh, and it's an app where you talk. You can actually speak to the other to the girl. She can see you. You can't see her. So you know the camera and your phone's enabled. So he's talking to these girls in Arabic. And like I said, there's a. It was a very. There's a dichotomy because these these other guys are all cool and they get arranged relationships or whatever. Well, he's hitting on girls at stoplights. Like he's talking to girls and stuff, and he's that guy. And on that app, he's getting numbers. He's getting all their numbers. He's talking to them. And then he would say, Inglese. And they'd go, oh, yeah, I speak English. And he'd hand me the phone. And I'd go, I don't have any idea why you're handing me the phone. I'm an old man from America. Nobody cares about me. Here's him. I'd give them the phone back. But that's who he was as a guy. He was just the coolest guy. And, it, and nothing – I was told a story when asked about the cops. Mohammed told me, well, you know, the thing is if anything happens, if you know a guy – 
he can get you out of trouble. You know, the cops will enforce the laws or whatever, but if you know a guy, they'll come and you can just call him and he'll come bail you out. He goes, I know a guy. So a couple days later, we're out, we're with Hamed and we're at that kebab house and things are getting a little rowdy. And I looked at Mohammed and I go, hey man, if we cause any trouble here, you still know your guy? And he points at Hamed and he goes, that's my guy. <laughs> He's the guy who knows He's everybody. the guy. Yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, he was, and he was just fantastic. I wanted a knife. Uh, my nephew, my godson collects knives and he wanted a Middle Eastern knife. So I, I mentioned that to Ahmad, and he said, well, you know, let's, we'll look around. And he told Hamid, and he took me to a knife shop. But it was all these modern, you know, Rambo military daggers and things like that. I go, no, man, I want something historical. He's like, oh, we'll look tomorrow. So the next night we pick him up, he gets in the car, and he starts talking to Ahmad in Arabic, and then he leans forward and he hands me a bag. And I pull it out, and it's a box. It's, a, it's an Arabian dagger in a, like a jeweled case. Wow. And it's got a, a, attached by a chain and the blade has Arabic writing on it. I, it looks ridiculous. I mean, I can't. <laughs> it, look, it looks like, you know, Brendan Fraser and the mummy got stabbed right. with this thing. And I look and I go, oh, my God. I go, where did you get this? And he speaks in Arabic and he, he is in charge of two divisions as a captain in the army. And he put the word out. If anybody's got like a traditional knife, I will give you a day off work. And someone went right to their locker and get, got that and handed it to him and he gave it to me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's great. It was fantastic. And then we went to a bazaar. Uh, because he, then he still wanted to look for knives. Like he was, it was like his goal. Right. So we went to a bazaar and we looked all over. We did, cause they bought me a full dish dasa and beads and I have the whole deal, man. It's amazing. <laughs> is it comfy? Uh, it's so comfy. Yeah. They, yeah there's a reason me, they wear it in yeah, the heat, right? Exactly. And they bought me lounging pajamas for the house, but a lounging gown, which looks ridiculous. He's like, you got to wear it. It's so amazing. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, but I wore it at my house. It was great. And then Lily wore it too. We did a, who did it better? We did it two, two photos of it. <laughs> but, uh, so we went and we were looking in this bazaar and he's asking around, asking around. We go to like 30 different shops. And finally we find this like dusty old back tent. And, uh, there's an older man. We, you know, we get motioned over to him and he's like stroking his whiskers. He takes us in the back and we're looking for a knife and he hands me a plastic thing. And I go, nah, dude, this isn't what I wanted. And he's, Oh, and he looks around and he reaches under like three velvet drapes and he pulls out a fucking scimitar, <laughs> a full on metal, you know, well, how big was this? Um, it's four feet, three oh my feet. Gosh. And it's, it's a, easy to get on the plane. It's in a case with tassels. I mean, <laughs> right. it's just, and I pull, and you pull it out and it's curved. It's a scimitar. And I, I went, this is exactly what I want. I mean, oh my God, yes. And uh, it was 60 bucks, 60 American dollars. And, uh, and then they paid. They wouldn't let me pay for it, oh. ridiculously. Hamed paid for it. And then, uh, yeah. And I, so I you brought, still have it? No, I, got, I sent it to my godson. That's, oh that's, my God. There it is. So I, I, he, he, posed, he sent me a photo of him holding both of them, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I, I, when I brought, because everybody's like, how the fuck did you get this home? And Because uh, I checked it. I put it in my bag. It was oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, just yeah. barely, I had to fit it on an angle in my suitcase, the scimitar, and then the dagger just fits in there. But they never, nobody ever said a thing. It was fine. I got home. Tell me that the handles aren't like ivory or rhino horn. Or something. <laughs> they might be oh, shark no. tooth. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Something endangered. I just know it. <laughs> but they are fantastic. And I mean, again, he, he was the coolest guy. He just, he, he went out of his way. Again, the kebab, we went to an Iraqi kebab house and it's that thing where you just sit down and they just kept bringing us food, meat and, and hummus and, and, you know, uh, yogurt dip. And they made flatbread on the big, that big hot dome. You know what I mean? When they yeah. put, and they just kept peeling it off and bringing it out there. And all of us would just rip off a piece and eat it. It was just, just so amazing. The camaraderie really, they just fully accepted me too. That was the best part is he, his friend Khalid knew me from never not funny. 
Ahmed had had it made him listen to episodes of that. <laughs> and then the other guys didn't know me, but they just accepted me immediately. They're like, oh yeah, there's Ahmed's friend. And we hung out the whole week or the whole 10 days. It was beautiful. Yeah, and a good trip. It was fantastic. And I cannot wait. And he's talked about me coming back in February. So I have to actually, I, I've been talking. I might come back in February. Yeah, let's go. Let's both go. That'd be fun. <laughs> Uh, it was perfect. I mean, it was, and it was so nothing like you're told or ex- expected. You know, like I said, there's called a prayer five times a day. Well, we're told that the whole nation stops. No, man. It's like if you want to pray, there's the call to prayer. Go find a mosque and go ahead and do it. But there are people who are living their lives and bustling around and they, they, can't, they don't do it. Or maybe they pray in the morning and at night. I mean, we're told so many lies over here about those people and that culture. You know, I asked, I asked him. I asked him about ISIS. I asked him about 72 virgins. I asked him about the Quran, And he's like, it's ridiculous. We don't believe any of that. He goes, you know, when we were kids, it was 72 grapes. That's what we were told. You know, but just like here, people will take a, a, a book and they'll bastardize it and they'll make it whatever they want to make it so they can justify their means and their ends. And, and it's... Uh, he, he was adamant. He's like, no, man. He's, again, he went to Colorado. He's, he's, he's a... Yeah. I don't, I don't, and I Boulder. He went to like one of the biggest hippie no kidding. schools. Like, I, I don't even want, I, I hesitate to say normal. He's not normal. They're just people. And it's, everything over there is the same as, the, as America, but different. You know, you, there's people there who are jagoffs and there are people there who are great. I'm sure that's the way it is in every country. What did, uh, to wrap it up, I mean, what did it change in you? I mean, how are you a different person now than before you went? Well, it, it, I gained a real appreciation for happiness and trying to be content with what you have. Uh, I'm going to be 50, you know, in a year and, uh, and I'm, my life is changing always, you know, it's as, as is yours, as is everybody's. Um, you know, I figure I got 25 years left and if I can somehow assimilate some of their attitudes, some of their acceptance of what their situation is and some of their willingness to be happy, no matter the, what the circumstance uh, I'll, I'll be ahead of the game for the rest of my life because I've always pushed and I'm angry about the past and angry about things that I haven't done and still angry about things I should be doing in the present. But if you can give yourself a break and, and realize that, you know, like you said, if you've got running water or you're happy or you're, you know, you, you can do those things that make you happy in the moment, um, like they were, they were content no matter what they did, laughing and, and enjoying themselves. And if you can pull any sort of their joy and take it with you, uh, that's a good thing. And I think I'm going to try to do that. That's awesome. Well, give your plugs now so uh, oh. some people can find your show. All right. Well, you guys can get me at Mike at MikeSchmidtComedy.com. You guys can follow me at Twitter.com slash The 40-Year-Old Boy. You can uh, find me at Facebook.com slash The 40-Year-Old Boy. Be my friend. Send some feedback. Uh, of course, you can go to Instagram.com, and I'm at Mike40YOB. You can find me there. And, of course, the website is MikeSchmidtComedy.com. We've got all sorts of merch and all sorts of cool stuff. But the show is the important thing. The 40-Year-Old Boy podcast is available in iTunes. It's also available at Art19.com slash 40YOB. Uh, subscribe. And anybody listening here, if you want to get on board with the show, write me, and I'll send you a free download set. Uh, we've got year one through year seven available. And uh, uh, you know, one gets you right up to speed from the beginning, and then you can jump in the middle. I think three might have been the best year, possibly four. <laughs> Whatever you want. Somebody write me from this show. Tell me you enjoyed it. Tell me you love Mike, my great friend, and uh, we'll get you a free download set and get you started on the show. Awesome. Can you tell Mike's never given plugs before? (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you doing this, man. No, man, you're so, I was so happy. Literally, when I was going to do it, there was a small factor in my head where I was like, I can finally do Mike's show. And it's not even a joke. (laughs) You could have done it before. I mean, it it always takes too long. You know that. No, but I, but I truly, honestly, I, I, you know, I love what you do. I admire so much that you get to travel as much as you do. And I I always ask you constantly, where are you headed? Where you been? What are you doing? Because I envy it. And I would love to be able to do more of it. Well, we'll plan a trip, man. You can uh, uh, save up those miles. I will do it. All right. Mike Schmidt, everybody. (laughs) 